You can't manage or control sin. Whether you're an unbeliever or believer, understand this. You can't give sin a little because you enjoy that and expect it to stay like that. It will take more. It is a tyrant. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. On today's program, Tom continues in his current series titled, Whose Slave Are You? Last time you were reminded that if you're in Christ, you were once a slave to sin, but through the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ, you are now a slave to righteousness. You can't help yourself. If you're in Christ, you will grow in righteousness. You have been enslaved by God, if you will, to righteousness. True believers will grow in holiness because they have been made by God slaves of righteousness. Well, today Tom will begin looking at the practical ramifications of the believer's relationship to sin, how you are meant to live here and now, and how you are meant to grow in Christ-likeness. Let's join Tom for more here on The Word Unleashed. Romans chapter 6. We're studying the second half of this wonderful chapter, and Paul's point in this paragraph is simply this. True Christians are no longer slaves of sin, but rather have become slaves of God. That's the image, the picture behind this entire paragraph. Now, it begins in verses 15 and 16 with a flawed conclusion about the believer's relationship to sin. Paul sort of reflects the spirit of his opponents, and in verse 15 he asks, is it okay for a Christian to live in sin because he's no longer under law but under grace? Paul responds that the very idea is repulsive, and in fact, it's impossible. It's impossible because in verse 16, he he lays down a general spiritual principle that you become a slave by obeying a master, and you can only be a slave of one master at a time, either of sin or of God and righteousness. We considered why exactly that general principle in verse 16 means that a believer doesn't continue to live in sin. And the reason is because of the radical change that has occurred in the believer's relationship to sin. This is the point of verses 17 and 18. We noted, as Paul does in verse 17, our condition before salvation. It's captured there in the words in verse 17, We were slaves of sin. All of us were slaves of sin before Christ. But then he records the change that happened at salvation, and that change is that we were regenerated by God. Notice how he describes regeneration, that change in the heart that occurs. In verse 17, he describes it this way, You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. He's talking about the gospel message. You became obedient from the heart to the gospel. At the very moment of regeneration, you heard the gospel, and God gave you life, called you to Himself, and caused you to have a new heart. Now, 
the immediate cause of that radical change in us that happened at salvation is here described as that form of teaching. Again, the gospel, the the Word of God, that was the immediate cause that, that God used to effect this change in us. But the ultimate cause was God Himself. Notice how the verse begins, but thanks be to God. Paul thanks God for this radical change in us because it's God alone who has accomplished it. And then he ends the verse by saying, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching, notice what he says, to which you were committed. Last week we discovered that that God committed us. Literally, the, the Greek word is God delivered us over or God handed us over to that form of teaching to which we then became obedient. That's at the heart of regeneration. That's the change that God produced. Now, because of that change, we noted, as Paul does here, our condition after salvation, and it's this in verse 18, we were made slaves of righteousness. Notice verse 18, and having been freed from sin, as a result of that change called regeneration, we were freed from sin and we became slaves. A better translation would be, we were made slaves, or we were enslaved to righteousness. Someone caused us to be enslaved to righteousness. We now obey God from the heart because of this radical change that He produced in our souls in regeneration. In the words of the New Covenant, He engraved His Word on our hearts, and God is causing us to walk in His ways. We were made slaves of righteousness. We can't help ourselves. If you're in Christ, you will grow in righteousness because you are a slave of righteousness. You have been enslaved by God to righteousness. This is why Christians can't continue in sin. True believers will grow in holiness because they have been, by God, made slaves of righteousness. Now that brings us this morning to the third part of Paul's argument, the practical ramifications of the believer's relationship to sin. And we see this in verse 19. Here Paul gets to the the application, if you will, of what he's been teaching us. Now just to remind you of the flow, in verse 18, Paul explained to us who we have become in Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin, but we are slaves of righteousness. That is what theologians call the indicative. An indicative statement is just that. It's a statement. So this is the indicative. This is the statement of what God has done. But then, as Paul always does, he follows the indicative, the statement of what God has already done, with an imperative of what we must do. And that imperative comes in verse 19. Now, for the moment, I want us to skip the first half of this verse, and we'll come back to it later. So it's, it's kind of an aside of Paul as he explains why he's using this illustration. I, I will cover it, but I want to come back and, and look at it briefly at the end. So for now, let's look at the middle of verse 19. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, 
resulting in sanctification. Now immediately, having even just read that, there are a couple of general observations that we can already make about this verse. First of all, spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, is based on your knowledge of the indicative. In other words, you will only grow spiritually to the extent that you understand what God has already done in you, who you are in Jesus Christ. And it's only as you grasp that that you will grow in holiness. The opposite side of that, the flip side of that, is another general observation we can make, and it's this. Our failures in sanctification are always, notice that word, I, I use it intentionally, our failures in sanctification are always the result of the same problem. Failing to understand who we are in Christ are failing to apply who we are in Christ. In the end, that's the ultimate reason for our failures. Now, what we have then in verse 19, having made those general observations, what we have here in this verse are the practical ramifications, or we could say applications of what God has done. Look again at what we must do in verse 19. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now notice the key point of this verse, the comparison. Just as, so now. Just as, so now. In other words, Paul says there are key similarities between how we served sin before Christ and how we serve God in righteousness now. We can actually look at our past life and learn something about sanctification. What are those similarities? Well, this is really the heart of what we learn from this verse. So let's look at these similarities together. The first key similarity between our life before Christ and our life after Christ is this. We must serve righteousness expecting the same gradual process. This is the first main point that Paul makes here in verse 19. Now, before we can unpack what he says, we we have to define one key term. You'll notice in the second half of verse 19, twice he uses this expression, your members. Your members. What does Paul mean by your members? Well, let me take you back to verse 12. You remember in verse 12, he refers to our physical bodies. He calls them our mortal bodies. When Paul uses that that term, he always means this tent we live in our physical bodies. And then in verse 13, he refers to the members of your body. So Paul, when he speaks of members here, means the parts and components of the human body. In fact, that's consistent with how Paul uses this word members throughout the New Testament. If you go through the New Testament, you find this word, you'll find that it refers to eyes and hands and feet and ears, your head, your internal organs, and the tongue, the members of your body. But, and here's a key point to remember, the Greek word members and the reference to the body in Paul's use of the language includes not only all the limbs and the organs, but all the components of the physical body. 
It also includes your brain. Remember, your brain is the connection point between the immaterial part of you, your soul, and the material part of you, your body. And your brain is physical. So when he's talking about your members, he's also talking about all of those things pertaining to the brain. It's reasoning capacity, it's thoughts, it's patterns of thinking, it's attitudes, it's emotions, it's imaginations. All of those things are your members. Now, notice what Paul says about our members, verse 19. For just as, he's talking about before Christ, just as you presented in the past your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. Now, notice, first of all, that in the original language, it's very clear when he says you, he's speaking here plurally of all the Christians to whom he was writing. This is, if you're a Christian, this is true of you. Before we came to Christ, we presented our members, or we put all of our physical faculties at sin's disposal. How did we do that? Well, we just kept presenting our bodies to sin as its slave. We did whatever sin commanded us to do. But notice that instead of using the word sin, which is, he's used already throughout this passage, Instead of using that word sin again, he uses two synonyms for sin that describe sin a little differently. Notice verse 19. You presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. Those are just synonyms for sin. But they're words that give us a little more insight into sin. The Greek word impurity is literally uncleanness. Uncleanness. Here, Paul pictures sin as a moral pollution that taints our souls. And then he uses the word lawlessness. And lawlessness is the very heart of sin because lawlessness is a failure to obey the law of God, whether it's the law of God written in the Scripture or whether, as chapter 2 describes, it's the law of God written on every human heart. Lawlessness is a failure to obey the law of God. And that is the essence of sin. In fact, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And then he says this, For because sin is lawlessness. At its heart, sin is a refusal to obey the law of God. So, Paul says then, before Christ, we just kept presenting our bodies and all of our faculties to sin as its slave. Day after day after day, we just kept on obeying whatever sin told us to do. And what happened? Notice verse 19. It resulted in further lawlessness. In other words, that daily pattern of obedience to sin resulted in more sin. That's what he's saying. This is the way it always is. When we obey sin, it's never content. Get that in your mind. Sin will never be satisfied. Paul personifies sin here as a tyrant, and it is. Because it's never satisfied. It always wants more. You give it a little, it's not going to be happy with that. It's going to demand more of you. 
You can't manage or control sin. Whether you're an unbeliever or believer, understand this. You can't give sin a little because you enjoy that and expect it to stay like that. It will take more. It is a tyrant. It wants you to commit the same sin more often than you do now. And then it wants you to commit sins in darker and more sinful ways. And then it wants you to add to that other sins as well until you have become truly in every sense a slave of sin. But I don't want you to miss Paul's point here. Paul's point is that sin's growth in your life before Christ was what? It was gradual. I mean, think about a sin for a moment that dominated your life before Christ. Any sin that was really a huge part of your life before Christ. The first time you committed that sin, it felt uncomfortable. It felt odd. It felt awkward. But then, as you obeyed sin again and again and again, it gradually became more comfortable. And it became more frequent. And then, it became more pervasive. It it began to reach out into other areas of your life. It wasn't restricted and restrained. And, in addition, its expressions became increasingly dark and sinful. And eventually, you became its slave. That's how sin always works. It's how it worked in your life. It's how it worked in my life. That sin that you tolerate today will not stay at the same level. Like a drug, it will require more and more of you in order for it to be satisfied. So slavery to sin results in more and more increasing sin. Now look again at verse 19. He says... Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, he's making a comparison, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Remember, verse 18, we've already been freed from slavery to sin, and God has enslaved us to righteousness. That's the indicative. That's what God has already done. So now what are we supposed to do? Well, verse 19 says, So now, on a daily basis, put the members of your body at the disposal of righteousness as its slave. By the way, there's an important point to be made here. When he says, present the members of your body, it's reminding us that the body itself is not inherently sinful. In fact, your body can be used in the service of sin, and it was before Christ, And it can also be used in the service of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body, which is God's. So put your members at the disposal of righteousness as its slave, just like you did with sin before Christ. And what happens when you do that? Notice verse 19 resulting in sanctification. You see, a pattern of presenting your members to righteousness, that is, a pattern of presenting yourself and everything you are to right thoughts, to right attitudes, to right actions, and doing that day after day after day will result in your growing 
in sanctification. You will become more righteous. You will become increasingly purer and increasingly holier. Don't miss the huge point here, and it's a, it's a very important one. Paul's point is that the gradual process that occurred with sin before Christ is the same gradual process required to grow in holiness or sanctification. Both before and after Christ, the process is not normally sudden or dramatic. With your slavery to sin and your obedience to it, there was a slow, steady increase in lawlessness. With your slavery to righteousness, you should expect that same slow, steady process in growing into sanctification. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that there can't be growth spurts in the Christian life. There can be periods of rapid growth, just like physically. You know, our, our kids one day are small and eating a thimble's full of food, and, and it seems like the next day they're huge and they're eating more food than we can keep on the table. What happened? Well, there's a growth spurt. That can happen in the Christian life as well. But normally, Generally, it's true that both our growth in slavery to sin before Christ and our growth in slavery to righteousness now are steady, gradual processes. It's important to understand that. Don't buy into the holiness teaching that says there's going to be this miraculous experience and one day you're going to be this struggling sinner and the next day you're going to be this catapulted to a new level spiritual saint. That's not how growth in sanctification works. But there's a second key similarity between our slavery to sin before Christ and our slavery to righteousness now, and this is really, really crucial. In fact, before I give it to you, let me just say this to you. I hate to admit this to you, but verse 19, I'm afraid I have underestimated its importance in the past. I mean, you read it, and it's like, well, that doesn't sound on the surface like it's particularly helpful. I don't believe now that there is a passage more helpful in the New Testament to growing in sanctification than this passage. So let's see it together. Here's a second key similarity between our slavery to sin and our slavery to righteousness. We should serve righteousness using the same means of progress. What do I mean by that? Our growth in slavery to sin then... And our growth in slavery to righteousness now both happen the same way. And what is that way? A consistent pattern of obedience. A consistent pattern of obedience. Paul's already told us this. Go back to verse 16. When he introduced this section, he says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone, watch this, as slaves for what? For obedience. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. So before Christ, how did you present your members as slaves to sin? Very simply, you obeyed the commands sin gave you. You obeyed the commands sin gave you. And you did it again and again, day after day. Sin said to you, you found yourself in a circumstance where things weren't going well. And sin said to you, lie. Lie, because it'll get you out of this. It'll make you look better. And what did you do? You obeyed sin's command. You lied. Or sin came along and said, listen, don't worry about what God says. Don't worry about all that stuff. 
satisfy your sexual desires however you want. You're free to do what you want. You're not hurting anyone. So satisfy your sexual desires however you want. And, and what did you do? What did we do? We obeyed sin. Okay, that's what I'll do. Oh, maybe we drew a line somewhere and said we're not going there. But we still were willing to obey sin. That's how it worked. Slavery to sin was about a pattern of obedience to sin's individual commands day after day. Slavery to righteousness is also about a pattern of obedience. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, Whose Slave Are You? Tom will have part six for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.